Welcome to the Addy Hour, where we talk brain science, mental health, faith, culture, and social justice. Having attended one of Dr. Addy's town halls, I can tell you that it's vital information for anyone living in America right now. It was the first time in a very, very long time where I felt like all of me could show up, each parts of my identity. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Addy. My friend, Dr. Nee Addy, is such a unique person who is both scientifically astute, understands the human soul and the mind. At the same time, he has compassion and empathy for the masses. He's been nothing but a blessing to my congregations and my friends. It was the first time I felt like it was safe to talk about issues that are usually not talked about, like mental health and faith and wrestling with your identity. By the end, I walked out feeling so much more validated and hopeful. Well, welcome to episode two of the Addy Hour. On today's conversation, we're going to be jumping in and focusing on topics of both stress and resilience. And again, we're going to have two different guests from different walks of life who are going to come in and talk about their unique perspectives and some of their overlapping perspectives as well. So with that, I'm really excited to introduce our two guests today. The first is NBA legend, Alan Houston. And Alan is the vice president of player leadership and development for the New York Knicks. He had a stellar 12-year career in the NBA as a two-time All-Star, and he's also deeply involved in the community. So as a community leader, he's been able to affect change through his Allen Houston Legacy Foundation and also through Fizzle, which serves underserved youth, families, and communities nationwide. So I want to go ahead and welcome Allen Houston to the program. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this, this fruitful conversation. Yes, definitely looking forward to it. I'm also thrilled to introduce our second guest, Yale professor, Dr. Rajita Sinha. Dr. Sinha is the Foundation's Fund Professor of Psychiatry and of Neuroscience and of Child Study at the Yale School of Medicine. She's the founding director of the Yale Stress Center. And she's also an expert and a researcher who looks at the biological processes in the brain that underlie stress and those processes and how they're linked to some of the unhealthy behaviors associated with stress, including things like addiction at times. She's a sought after expert and contributor on multiple media platforms, and she's also conducted workshops on stress management and self-care. So really thrilled to welcome Dr. Sinha to the program today. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So I think this is going to be a very timely conversation in a lot of ways, just based on where we are as a society right now. But I also imagine that the topics we'll be discussing will extend far beyond what we're thinking about today and are just important life principles as well. So I'm really, really excited to be able to, to walk through some of these conversations and to hear about your experiences and some of your tips for our audience uh, listeners as well. But before we get into some of that, I did want to set the stage a little bit and just see how both of you are doing in the midst of everything that's going on. I mean, I can say honestly for myself, there is an element of tiredness that I feel um, in this moment. Some of that, I know we're just coming off of the anniversary, the one-year anniversary from when much of the country went into lockdown. Um, in some ways, it seems it's hard to believe that it's been a year already. Um, in some ways, it's been slow. In some ways, it's been fast. 
but then also with everything that we're still fighting and dealing with around the racial injustices, really trying to fight against the systemic and underlying racism that's really embedded in our country, even with some of the news about the trial that's coming forth for uh, the former police officer uh, Chauvin in the, the case of George Floyd's murder, all the emotions surrounding that, um, all the tensions that we have with our political system and some of the some of the challenges and, and frankly, ugliness associated with that, which we really emphasize in, in episode one. I know for me, as I talk to family members and friends, as I interact with my students, as I talk to people in the community, um, as I talk to people in faith communities and church communities, there's really kind of this element of tiredness and really wanting to be able to move through and move forward, even though there's still work we have to do. Um, so I know there's a lot there, but I was just curious how both of you are really managing everything right now from what we're dealing with in society and even in your personal lives. Um, so Alan, if you'd be willing to, uh, to jump in, I know that's, that's not a light question by any means, but important. Yeah, but it, no, but it's, it's a real question. It's, it's where we are as we kind of talked before we hopped on live. I think everybody is understanding we're in a world that we hadn't seen before. Um, so we're all trying to navigate it. Uh, you know, for me, we are approaching the, a year since kind of lockdown. And I remember literally uh, March 10th of last year was the day it really kind of hit me because I was with our team with the Knicks and uh, they, they literally stopped games mm. and this on March 10th. <clears throat> and so, you know, I, I'm just kind of going back and saying, first of all, I can't believe it's been a year mm. for one. And then it's like, what was I doing at the beginning? Uh, I think for me, I'm, I have been had such a busy lifestyle. It gave me a chance to spend time at home, reflect. Um, so I kind of had this dual perspective. One that was like, I was really kind of relieved that I could just have, have a real reason to be home and not be anywhere else and engage with my family. But on the other side, you see the pain that so many are going through. Uh, and the pain that you're kind of sensing that you don't know how to kind of deal with and navigate. Um, because I feel like as a nation, uh, some layers finally got peeled back. Right. Mm -hmm. It was really kind of, it's almost like we're kind of getting to the root and discovery of who we really are and not who we're portraying to be as a, as a nation and didn't look pretty, you know? And so we're trying to figure out, okay, it's almost like, living in the house with a brother or sister that you are still trying to learn and know, and you find out some ugliness, but you're still family. <laughs> mm. So how do we, you know, how do we navigate that and push through it, deal with the ups and downs, which I love this conversation of stress and resilience, because it's not just the physical tiredness, it's the emotional. It's, mm. it's knowing that I have to endure this, you know, and I just have to, um, so on one side, it's like, I know I have to keep pushing. I have no choice. But on the other side, it's like, why do we have to keep going over this again? You know, and uh, so I, I'm, I call myself an eternal optimist. You know, mm -hmm. but I, I just have always felt like, you know, um, I tr my perspective is eternity. You know, I know God that has, a, has an ultimate plan and a destination. So I try to keep that in mind and try to work myself back. But when you get to re, you know where you are, it's it's a struggle, right? It's a fight because not everybody has the best intentions and and different experiences. 
So uh, it, it's always a challenge, but at the end of the day, I just try to remind myself of why I'm here, mm. you know, um, and that's not always to be comfortable, mm-hmm. uh, but it's to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. That, that higher purpose in a lot of ways. Um, and so many, you know, the part that really, one of the things that really resonated with me is just the idea of, in a sense, like it was a blessing in disguise to be able to have yeah. to deal with these yeah. things, but that doesn't make it easy by any means. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's, it's things that were already there that we have to address head on, but there's almost no escape because not, I mean, in a sense, I mean, there is always a way to escape, but when it's right there in front of your face, these are the realities. Then we, yeah, really but I think the, I think the, the thing about escaping, like it seems like this conversation is about escaping is not really escaping, mm-hmm. right? Escaping is, is, is not really dealing with it. So you're not really escaping. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes people think they are and it's, it still comes back. Like you said, mm-hmm. Regina, what about you in this, in this moment? You know, I, uh, a lot of what Alan was saying, I was resonating with I can't believe it's been a year. Uh, it feels like it's gone by and it's both fast and slow at the same time. There were aspects that I appreciated, um, having moments to think about things without feeling rushed, um, cutting out all travel, <laughs> which was a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, it also really uncovered a lot of who we are, challenged us in ways we didn't know, um, you, you know, how we would react as both as a community, uh, as a nation, but, uh, you know, just in myself, uh, too, you know, we were challenged in different ways. Um, and so I think it's been hard from that perspective. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you have, you have to relearn some things, um, of how to do, um, you know, how to function in a very restrictive environment. Mm-hmm. Um, your social network is not there for you in a way that in the same way. So you sort of have to find a new way of sort of connecting with people. And that's a more conscientious a way of, of putting oneself out, which uh, you can't take things for granted, um, you know. And, and then from a work perspective, it got very stressed because there was lots of sort of restrictions and um, there were worries about how would we get things done that we have to get things, that, you know, get done. And then taking care of the people around me, my family, you know, personally, it was hard for family members who one couldn't see, who were ill and sick, you know, so there, there's that whole dimension of it as well. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's been, it's been tough for so, so much more tough for other people um, who, who have lost loved ones. I had illness in the family, but not, not actually lost uh, uh, somebody. And so that, you know, I feel a, a level of gratitude mm-hmm. uh, for for what um, you, you know what I could sort of manage, and and uh, even though one was one was challenged in different ways. Yeah, yeah. In several ways, it sounds like you're talking about just the mixture of emotions that come to the loss, and then some of the resilience in the midst of the stress. And I really like how you brought out the learning piece as well, because I think that's been key in a lot of ways. And some of that has just been having a willingness to learn, I would say too. Um, And with learning, there's always, there are always mistakes. I mean, I'm sure Alan, you could talk about that from a sports standpoint, Regina, from a life standpoint, but really being willing to learn and have those mistakes happen. I know for me with my students, a lot of it has been talking about basically resetting goals 
saying, yeah. okay, these are the goals I have in mind. This is a pandemic. I can't actually meet those goals. I need to kind of reset and right. set new goals. And then I still can't meet those goals. So I reset. So, I mean, it's really a cyclical iterative process and not being so hard on ourselves that we don't give ourselves that room to learn. Because as you both mentioned, this is completely new for all of us. I mean, yeah. unless any of us were alive 100 years ago, we haven't experienced this before. Right. So there's no template for how to go through it. But we do have principles which we can apply as well. And so I think that's going to be a really rich part of this conversation mm -hmm. um, as well. And so, I mean, I know you both already have had passion about these aspects of stress and resilience. And so anything you'd like to share just in terms of how you've applied that passion over the last year in this pandemic and how are there things that you've had to shift even in the framework for how you've approached some of these things? Yeah. No, I, I think, uh, you know, the challenge uh, really got you to think about, um, uh, you, you know, one's own sort of sanity first, obviously at your own personal level, uh, an acceptance of what we don't know. Um, because I, I remember having this conversation with, uh, with colleagues about whether this is an acute trauma that we're facing. And for, I, I just said, um, I was on the other side of it and felt and continue to feel that this is it wasn't an acute trauma like you have a disaster, you know, a hurricane. And, and of course, you deal with the consequences of the hurricane, but the hurricane leaves. This is chronic, relentless um, and not knowing at least back in March and April and May and through the fall, not knowing when it would end, if it would end in a way that would be uh, even at all salvageable as we come out of it. And then the all other layers, which I know Nia, you referred to in your first episode and, and we may talk about it, but there were other things that got uh, you know the onion sort of pulled back as Alan, you were referring to who we are in different ways and challenging that also came about. So I think just for me personally, there was a lot of acceptance and focusing and staying with the acceptance and staying with the multiple, emotions that come up. Um, I appreciated having time to exercise more, for example, to have control over your, your schedule in a way that uh, you, could, you could do those. So there were some nuggets of, of um, good, I suppose, in one's own sort of existence. Uh, but it came with a lot of these other uh, mixtures. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about one piece you brought up too, before you pivot back to Alan, but just this idea of it not being an acute stressor, but something that was much more chronic. How, how does that, how do our brains respond to that? And what's the, what's the impact on that, on us as individuals? Like how should we be thinking about the nature of the stressor itself and how we approach things? Yeah, that's, a, it's a great question. And it really gets to the heart of sort of what is stress and, and, and how do we, how do we um, conceptualize it and then study it and then deal with it? Um, you know, acute stressors are things that have a beginning and an end, very discreet, and and um, and they challenge us. And it can be controllable or uncontrollable, of course. And uncontrollable really challenge us in ways that um, that uh, can uh, probe and risk for very quick action to save us and and that kind of thing. And but then there's a recovery from it. And there is a coming down of, of our physiologic as well as our mental processes, sort of, um, you know, whether it's relief, whether it's sort of a sense of accomplishment, whether it's learning as you pointed to, learning is a big part of it, adapt, adapting to the situation, sort of 
putting it together to know it, like I'm not going to do that again, or I'm not going to feel that, or and sometimes making, you know, growing from it, sort of making decisions like I think we're going to do this differently the next time. Um, so you have room to manage that sometimes. Sometimes uncontrollable stress can be ones that uh, really challenge you in ways that, um, you know, put you on the spot to to learn in major ways, and you have to be open for that. This, uh, the chronic relentless is one that unfortunately a number of people in our community already know what that is. Not in the way of the pandemic, but there is a lot of chronic relentless mm -hmm. stress. Um, you know, if you were about to get evicted, for example, or you don't know where the next uh, paycheck is gonna come or whether you will have the rent money. Um, you, uh, you, you know, and that's just like one example of it. Uh, but this had those qualities, uh, you know, your own person may not be okay. You might, you might get affected by this illness uh, or somebody you love might be, you might lose someone who is already sick. Uh, there's just a lot of uncertainty in there. Um, and like I said, there wasn't a clear message about how this was going to come, how we were going to come out of it. So any, any ways in which socially we could get to sort of gaining control, those things weren't happening in a very concise way. Some states were better than others and we can we don't have to get into the social side of it, but just generally thinking about a stressor, it's, it was a chronic, relentless, uncontrollable stress for yeah. a long time. Yeah, that's very, very true. And Alan, you, you hinted at this as well, but how have you been trying to address that both in your own life and in the communities that you're involved in? Mostly just doing this, just talking, you know, just mm -hmm. listening to people. You know, I think anytime you go through some something, I think traumatic, if I think being in a support group, being able to express and listen to connect with people who are going through something similar. Um, that's what I found a lot of strength and and recovery and just connection with. And you know, obviously. Technology allowed that to happen. Uh, so, you know, you kind of get Zoom fatigue. Uh, but for the most part, um, I felt like as much energy that got drained from us, we, we actually, I felt like I got energy from certain conversations. You know, sometimes, you, you know, you get on prayer calls with people and, you know, just, just talking, even though like, people are immobilized and they're sitting in the same physical situation or same physical place, um, you can kind of be moved, you know, in a different way by having a conversation with someone, connecting with someone, uh, just being there to listen uh, to people. So I think that's one of the things that we've been doing with um, kind of our support groups, mentoring, you know, leadership development, uh, just really, uh, listening to a lot of young people, um, letting them voice their concerns, letting them voice what they, uh, their aspirations, um, you know, just getting their feedback on what's going on in their world and how they interpret and perceive things that are going on socially. Because I think a lot of people had, haven't felt like they had a voice and, and they hadn't been validated. So I think that was the primary way for me um, kind of in a, in a macro sense to just deal with, you know, the stress of everything, mm. um, connecting with people. 
Uh, and, you know, within myself, you know, doing the same thing, you know, reflecting a lot, um, just thinking about what's most important in life, most important relationships, uh, and just trying to keep it on that, on that plane. Yeah. That's so important. I think there's the element of community that you brought up, just really giving people the space to stay engaged in community. And like you said, recentering too, just recentering in terms of the strength that we can build from community and recentering spiritually, I think as well, strength that we can have from God in those moments as well. Uh, one piece that I was curious about from both of you, based on what you've just said, is just if you've seen specific strengths emerge that weren't necessarily as evident before, as people have gone through this chronic stress? I, I think the what it, the, the positive or the strength of this, what, what happened was, is related to what Alan is saying, which is that it forced us to think about community in some, in many ways, you, you know, people have been busy in their life or doing the things that they need to do or, or struggling and, and managing things and haven't had a chance to take a step back or reflect. And this forced us to do that in tough situations, as well as in situations where uh, you didn't know what to do. Um, you, it allowed us to dig into that sense of sort of reaching out, supporting one another, um, using Zoom. You heard a lot of that using Zoom or phones or whatever other technology, uh, or just even connecting with your you know, church groups or whoever, even your, just the neighbors, not that you were seeing them, but, but in the, you know, watching them and then connecting uh, you know, through, through some media um, uh, modality. It really allowed you to sort of get get into that uh, connectivity issue that we, that is so important for humans. You know, we tend to be social. We are social animals, and it was really a good way to to hone into that. But for a lot of people and a lot of young people, they really um, you know connect, but they miss the other piece, the contact, and you hear that from them. Um, you, you know, and so actually a lot of reassurance and, and sort of teaching of patience, which is harder, um, you know, so I think even that got challenged. Well, that is a strength. It's perhaps something that we didn't, you know, we weren't aware of how much investment we need to make in that. And I think we got to, we got a chance to see this, yeah. you know, the community, not <coughs> community fabric, not being as strong as it could have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really true. I've had lots of uh, yelling conversations with neighbors across the street that just didn't yeah. just be in a different way. But it's funny because you you can you can see that that uh, tension and that yeah. desire too. You know, as people are out doing yard work and they're getting closer together, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I forgot we have to social distance. It's like that yearning that was just starting to to bubble up. So I th I think you're exactly right. It's teaching us teaching yeah. us a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it definitely gave us a a better appreciation for just, you know, nature, you know, just, you know, doing the things that are just natural to us, just walking, talking, exercising, you know, those things that just help us be whole. Um, I, I think that what got strengthened um, is, is I think Regina kind of said it, it's like just our ability to think and reflect, just our ability to to think about things, to, to really think about them more deeply, right? And, and, it, and it gave us a little bit more of a self-awareness, like again, that we didn't like, but we needed to know, right? Within ourselves or just other people. 
Like, I don't think that's what they're really thinking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now I see what they're really thinking. I thought it, but now I see it. They said it and we, we're talking about it. And we're being forced to talk about uncomfortable things and, and, and things that I didn't know were not okay to say. And um, so those things, I think, helped us uh, in a lot of ways. Um, now we got to, you know, apply it, you know, and, and just continue to be mindful of those things. Um, but yeah, I just, I agree. I think those things, it did help just the idea of thinking. And I think you, you made a great point too, as well, because I, I have seven children. So I see the progression of an eight-year-old all the way up to a 21-year-old. And you know, you realize that the older you are, <clears throat> the more you're okay with kind of dialogue and thinking and that type of engagement with the younger you are, I just want some physical engagement. <clears throat> you know what I mean? So you really see this natural progression of how, how we live and how we develop and how we really do need young people, the younger we are, to have some social engagement. It's, 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 it's extremely important. Um, and that's why, you know, I'm praying that everything can quicken you know, so that people can kind of just get out again and, and feel that sense. Yeah, that's so important. Regia, do you have suggestions for people in terms of that piece that Alan just brought out, especially for you, you mentioned young people, like still trying to have those spaces of uh, a physical connection that's so important? Well, the physical connection is, is tough, right? Because you have to at some point make the contact. Um, but but uh, I, I think Zoom goes a long way. I think people seeing, using their different uh, sensory modalities to connect with other people. Um, I, I think there's creative ways in which teachers and others have, have uh, reached out to do that. Um, you know, I've heard, for example, uh, getting kids together for uh, joint movement things, you know, whether it's joint dance workshops or singing together and, and yoga together and so physical activity in that way. Um, has has gone on, which has been important, and the kids have enjoyed it. And again, you know, depending on the age group, I think that uh, that matters. Um, I do think that that the other piece of this, and maybe we, you are going to get to it, is that the need for connection around the difficulties that have gone on in this past year as well, uh, because I think for children, particularly, how you connect on that is really important. Um, but there has been such a tremendous amount of loss uh, in many ways, even though we are talking about, you know, we got challenged and we tried to figure out how to cope with it and, and manage to, to strengthen those other, those aspects. There was a sense of loss. You lost your way of, of living and your way of being and at the most, you, you know, just at the top level. And then there was loss in very physical ways, uh, family members, losing, I mean, loss at just multiple le levels and the pain related to that. And I, I feel like we don't talk enough about that because we spend so much time wanting to be, you know, as Americans, we like to be upbeat and happy and, and, and oh, we're all great and resilient um, and, and not perhaps paying as much attention to what's coming apart. Yeah, yeah, that's really important. So I'm curious, how do you suggest for both of you that we deal with that loss in terms of even just acknowledging that it's there, but then having the tools to move through it and to build resilience. Because I think in some ways, sometimes there's, there are misconceptions about what resilience really is and what it isn't. 
So how, what would you say to people in terms of what, what are appropriate ways to address those things and what things should we be trying to avoid in terms of how we approach it? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just start. I, I, I think what Alan said is really important. I think the support and listening and talking is one of our very natural tools. Um, but really going to where the dark side is, you know, where the darker aspects of it, to not be afraid of that, to reach out about pain and sadness and about distress um, and to stay with it because uh, we want to go very quickly to how do you cope with it and what do you do with it? And there's a natural way in which that can, there's the risk to promote avoidance in, in that way. And so I, I think the, the under, knowing pain, there's a lot of beautiful historical context of, you, you know, you know, if you know pain, it gives you the answers. It shows you what, what path you need to take. And so pain and distress uh, teaches us as well. And um, I, my own personal belief is, and what I see around is that we don't, we don't pay as much attention to it. So there's a risk that people who are facing the loss in that very deep way tend to put it aside, not talk about it because others are not paying as much attention to it and have moved on from it. Um, and so we do a lot of work around on that, the trauma of things, um, you know, um, and, and how to accentuate it so that, in fact, not to have people suffer, but to know their pain. And there's a difference in those in those aspects. Mm, that's really important. That's yeah, really good. I mean, that, that blessed me, you know, right there, you know, because I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really have a good answer, but, you know, when, you know, Dr. Regita talked about embracing, not, you know, embracing the pain in a way that you know that you can get through it, you can recover. Um, you know, often when, when a player gets injured in sports, for example, um, I, I kind of go back to when I had surgery a few times and it's painful uh, going through that process, the healing, the recovery, but oftentimes you come back smarter, wiser, you know, you learn from it. And the other thing that I like what you said like, is, is about, you know, don't run it, don't run from pain. You know, it's, it's almost like, you know, we know a lot of people who you know, may have, a, have an injury or ailment and you're like, ah, I'm, I'm okay, I'm good, I'm good. Well, that, that's, that's one thing between being tough, but then another thing is being smart, right? And if you ignore that pain, which I think is given to us to, to it's, hey, there's something going on here, mm-hmm. you know, it should be something you pay attention to. You know, you don't dwell on it, sit in it, think about it, but you, you, you do something about it. You notice it and then you recover. And when you do, you start to understand that this pain actually helped me and I can, I can always recover. I think that's the one thing that I, I always think about is, you know, when, when a person gets injured on, on, in sports, you, you know that, you know, especially nowadays with the medical um, advancements, you know, you, you're going to recover and you're going to be back playing again. You know, it's, it's, um, so I think that's the thing that I look at is from an emotional standpoint is, you know, I don't want to be paralyzed by anything. You know, I, I, I want to know that I can overcome things as hard as they may be. Um, you know, whether something that has happened in, you know, your, your relationships, your marriage, you know, family, um, things that may have happened, like, 
you just have to think, okay, I'm going to get through it. I'm going to, it's going to, I'm going to bounce back. And the pain is something that I'm going to navigate through. I often say to a lot of, a lot of people too, like sometimes there's nothing to do, but to go through it. You, you know, Alan, that's so true. And yet we spend a lot of time trying to not go through things in, you know, in, in the way that, um, and in fact, there are social sort of norms about that. Um, and, and it's unfortunate because there is, uh, you, you know, socially and culturally, we've had so much pain that has gone around, losing a son, losing both parents. I mean, if we just stop for a moment and think about what that is, how is the person who is feeling that experiencing it? We might start to connect with each other. We might go back to that built-in coping that we have, which has to do with connection in a way that we start to understand each other differently. You know, I, this, you, you made me think of something too, and I appreciate this, that sometimes the pain, we place the pain in the wrong, not, I shouldn't say in the wrong place, but like, when something happens to us, let's just say a family member, you know, God forbid, gets killed, or you know, I, I, a lot of our young people, you know, there's violence, and so we we know that we're going to get through it, but we hold on to the we we keep holding on to why it happened, right? We hold on to the person that that made that decision to take a life, or or and we it's almost like we give them the license to keep us in pain. Right. Or and and that's hard. I know it's tough, but, you know, the pain, if, if we uh, dwell on why it happened. Who made it happen? I don't that becomes unhealthy in itself. And I think that's where I think faith comes in is right. Look, you know, we have to learn to not dwell on why it happened, um, who made it happen, but the fact that we can get through it. And how do we get through it? You, you know, stay with that. Um, right. No, that's important. I agree with you. And unfortunately, because we are we are so wired to sort of say, well, we're going to be, you know, I can't look weak in facing this. That is another big um, social construct out there. Um, and you take it in your stride. And if you don't, then you are somehow not not you're lesser than. Uh, we have a lot of things out there that get people out of pain, perhaps in the moment, or they think they get them out of pain, and it just creates more more difficulties um, later on. And so that that's um, that's made things complicated. Yeah, so well said. That ties back even to what Alan. I know you mentioned in the beginning about the the escape and whether that's really escape or not. So I think Rajia, you're bringing bringing that up, bringing that up as well. Um, just to even bring it home a little bit more practically for a lot of what we're going to be going through, I think in the months ahead, I did want to ask both of you in this aspect of what you're talking about, how to deal with the pain and process it, you know, with things that are, that are coming online with the Chauvin trial and things like that, and all the emotions that will bring to the surface again with George Floyd's murder. Are there practical pieces of advice that you have for people in terms of how to process that? from a biological perspective, from a stress perspective, from a spiritual perspective. And a lot of the themes we've talked about, I think, can be applied, but it'd be great just to hear both of you elaborate on exactly how people should be thinking about that coming going forward. Yeah. 
I'll say two things come to mind. The first is, I think, in a parallel way, um, George Floyd's, you know, heinous um, murder was May 25th. It was early in our, you know, early in this whole COVID piece. And a lot of what has gone on in, during COVID, unfortunately, the way people have been dealing with suffering and pain has been, you know, we've seen increases in alcohol use, increases in other kinds of behaviors that, uh, uh, you know, pain use, uh, use of pain prescription pills and other things. And uh, a lot of that is just people trying to cope and figure out what to do, uh, right? And so here we are again in this moment where um, some things are going to come, come out, a lot of things are going to come out. You're going to also get reminded flashbacks of not just the episode and what happened after that, but everything else that got uncovered, ugliness or, or not so ugly things that got said, um, really not connecting with each other as a community, evidence of that. And yet some other, in other ways, as a community, we people did rise up and say, no, we're not going to take that. There was evidence that was uh, put in people's faces that you had to face that. Um, I, I think really you start by noticing what is coming up for you. You, you know, you start by really becoming, uh, be, becoming um, aware of your pain and the emotions that are coming up and what else it reminds you of and um, sitting with it and communicating that to others, connecting with others, building more com community around it, I think can be very important at this time and really trans then sort of taking that on and saying, where do you, you know, what do we want this to lead to? Um, because that, you know, as part of sort of facing things, we don't give this as much attention, but we as humans really want agency. And so giving, getting, giving agency in a way that is um, adaptive and, um, you know, solves some things or begins to help us get through it, as Alan says, you know, what is going to help us get through it? Uh, that'll that'll come up if we go ahead and and process it and stay with it. That's excellent. That's yeah. excellent. I, I personally don't have a whole lot of high expectations, honestly. You know, for for uh, the trial, I think I, I'm trying to avoid being too consumed with it. I want to be aware of it. I want to be aware of what happens and how it affects people and. Again, let it continue to spark dialogue, healthy dialogue and understanding. Um, you know, we're, we, this, is put, this whole thing has put us on a really constant search for real truth, right? Because I feel like in society with people, I don't even think people know what to even trust anymore, you know? And so I think you just got to keep searching for truth, right? And in, 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 the, in the Bible, the Bible talks about you know, when Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? What is it? You know, it's not, it's the difference between information and facts and, and truth. So like in this case like this, whether it's Chauvin or whatever, I think you just got to look at, look at real motive, real intent of the heart. Um, you know, I, we, we've done something that we're doing. We're talking with uh, our foundation. We're meeting with, um, police officers and seeing how their uh, sensitivity training goes, seeing how, how, what goes into your department's development in these areas. Just ask, ask your police department, you know, what, what are you guys doing in the area of developing 
type of training is going in. So you can kind of learn. I think as community leaders, we should be aware of our local law enforcement's practices to train um, officers. And so we can just keep drawing those connections. So, you know, as Regina said, what do we want to look moving forward? We have to develop more trust uh, between young people, law enforcement, authority. Um, and I'll just kind of end with this thought. Um, my friend is, is writing a book in the name of, he's done a lot of youth development work and his book is called Why Youth Don't Give a Damn Anymore. That's the name of his book. And at first I'm like, well, why do you want to name that? But at the end of the day, um, young people are looking for models. You know, they're, they're looking for people to really model what they expect. And if we don't give them that, then how can we expect them to show us respect and show authority, respect for authority? Mm. Um, so I think we, you know, it kind of went off a little bit, but I think you know, I look at, I look at, you know, the whole trial, we just, we, we can't, we, we're going to look at so many cracks, you know, in, in, in this case, but at the end of the day, like my grandfather used to tell me, like, you know, right from wrong to make sure you're doing right mm. and make sure you're holding other people accountable in your circle, you know, for doing the same. Mm. That's so good. And one theme that seems to jump out to me from what you both said is just a, a theme of understanding, both yeah. in terms of understanding ourselves when we feel whatever emotions rising up in response to things and then understanding others and really building those community bridges as well. I think it's going to be really important. Uh, but the one last question I have for both of you, just with everything that we've talked through, that's been so important. And I think it's, it's important and great that we're diving into these tough issues because a lot of times these things kind of get left under the surface, as you've both mentioned. But I'd also love to hear what gives you hope in this moment for really being able to think forward and think ahead. Uh, for me, my faith. <laughs> you know, God... God um, I just have always uh, relied on it uh, in my relationship. It's seen me through in the past. Um, and I think that that's, you know, it's like in basketball, right? You, you, you lose a game, you miss a shot, something happens, you get hurt. But you just, you, you go back again. You get another opportunity. And you believe that you're going to make the next shot. You believe that all the work you put in and all the preparation you've put in is going to prepare you for the next time. And, you know, I believe that there's only one loss in a season. That's the last one. Every other, every other one is just a learning experience, right? <laughs> the one loss is the one that's that good. ends your season, right? <laughs> so, you know, I, I kind of look at, you know, I, I believe that my ultimate coach is God and he's going to continue to put me in the best situations. Not every situation is going to be comfortable. I may not lose, might not win every game, but it's always developing me, growing me, you know, advancing me. Um, and I'll just start with that perspective. Um, and I think what it helps me do is we've talked a lot about pushing through, right? We have talked a lot about, um, stress and recovery, right? The, the, the energy that goes up and then the recovery that you need to kind of come back quickly. Um, so what gives me hope is that I, I use my faith to see the other side of it. 
right? To see the uh, the other side of what's about to happen. You know, I think that's that's how I define faith. You believe in something that's going to happen that hadn't happened yet. You don't see yet in front of you, and so I think that's what gives me hope. I think um, when I think about relationships, I think deep down people think they want to have a connection. They want to have a deeper connection, you know, and understand themselves, but they haven't learned. They haven't been in a situation or an environment that's allowed them to do it. You know, so a lot of times we get caught in, why is this person, you know, main and nasty and evil and all that? <laughs> well, you got to think about where, where their soil, you know, where the, where the roots are, where they've come from, what they've been through. Then you kind of think, okay, uh, I think that's the way I kind of try to look at people, look at life. So I try to see the good side, see how I can, you know, be the part of the solution and part of the other side of it. Um, so like during this whole time, I kept thinking about vision. Like I, I kept thinking about like, use this time to really sharpen your vision. Since you can't go anywhere, you can't do much. Use it to envision what you want to do when you can you know, and, and really train that side and that part of, and that's kind of where I still have been thinking about. So doing that, when you start thinking about what's possible, what you can do, what you want to do, it, it, it helps a, a little bit more hope come, you know, come in instead of looking at what's going on now, what happened, you kind of look forward. So I think that's, that's kind of um, something that I've tried to make intentional. That's so good. And so many aspects of perspective too, which I know we've talked about in other uh, situations before, but just that perspective on, on the big picture, uh, that God given perspective that this, this isn't the end, that there's more to come. And like you said, just perspective on learning where others are coming from to what they've gone through um, and having that. Perspective. Yeah. And I just, and I'm sorry, I just say this. I just believe too, like, mm -hmm. I really believe that's a choice. A lot of people, you guys know more than me. Like there are some, imbalances and construct, constructs that people have internally with their uh, genetic makeup um, and what's going on. But I do think that deep down, we have to look at it at our capacity as a choice. Like we have a choice to look at it that way and believe that. And we have to use that choice. Yeah, I would just, I would add, you know, I, I see Alan's perspective fully um, of what he's saying is so important. Um, I, I think the hope uh, for me is coming from the young people too. They, they are, uh, they're not happy. They are very upset with what is going on. Just generally, if one had to say, not everybody, of course, but they, are, they have forced us to engage in a way um, that I had not seen before. Um, and uh, that gives me hope that they, they have basically, you know, whether it is school shootings, whether it is shoot violence that we are seeing, you know, racial uh, violence, whether it's, um, you know, structural racism and, uh, you know, or, or microaggressions or, um, you, you know, how COVID's response was, you know, all of those pieces, how it's affecting them, you know, they're voicing their pain, but they're also challenging us. And um, at a very basic level, you know, and, and they're expecting more. And so I think there's, there's uh, hope in that. 
because they're they're really looking. They've gone approaching life and approaching what's happening in the world in a different way than when we were younger. Um, but also, I think forcing us to see their pain, which makes uh, certainly motivates me to say this is not okay. We've got to do better. And it it sort of appeals to our, hopefully, to our own better angels to sort of come up with solutions to break down barriers if we can, to sort of think outside the box, to not get stuck in the choices, as Alan was saying, to sort of think of alternate things and alternate choices and other ways of of other alternate perspectives, as you said, Nee. Um, and so those, because it's amazing how if that can be, they, there are lots of different ways. You just have to open your mind up to it. Um, and uh, we are faced with really lots of, lots of challenges, but the hope is, is, is there. And we have to believe in it because we want, we want to, we have to find a better place in a better way. Yeah, that's so true. And it ties together what you're both saying, both about the choice and perspective and a choice in action. I think in a lot of ways, the youth are really paving the way and showing us that choice in action. And I think in some ways it's up to us to even um, step up and step step with them in those pieces. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. Join, join in. Mm-hmm. So, and it gets back to that community too. I feel like we just went full circle. So that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. that's a great way to tie things together. Well, again, I'm deeply appreciative to both of you for jumping on the podcast for or jumping into this conversation. I think there's so many rich pieces that, that are going to be important for us. I know even for me, I'm sure I'll be listening to this again. There's always, you know, even as I'm hosting, there's always nuggets that I pull out a second time through. So I know that's definitely going to be the case here as well. So thanks again, uh, both to Alan, Dr. Sinha for joining on the Addy Hour. I know this is going to bless a lot of folks and be informative and empowering as well. Definitely appreciate both of you. Thank you, Dr. Sinha. So it's a pleasure, you know, learning from you, uh, visiting with you, and thank you, Nee. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Of course, of course. Yeah, thank you, Nee. Thanks for having me, Alan. It was a real pleasure for, to to chat with you and with both of you. And um, I look forward to hearing more of Addy Hour. The Addy Hour. Addy Hour. <laughs> <laughs>